This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. Good morning, Bump. I'm doing well. I'm down in your old neck of the woods. One of your stops, at least, Mr. Gallant, uh, down in Texas. Yeah. Big 12 media days. I know you're in Houston. I'm in Dallas, uh, but down here for for some Fox work with college football and the old Big 12 media days. And uh, yeah, geez, I was getting on the plane yesterday. There was certainly some enormous news coming out of the Pacific Northwest that I think we'll probably talk about, huh? Yes, we will. What's your reaction to the news yesterday of Richard Sherman's arrest? Pretty shocked. Yeah, pretty, pretty shocked and stunned. Uh, with, with Richard, and that was probably the overwhelming response down here with a bunch of folks that, that knew him. I was at dinner last night with Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big uh, Big 12 now, who was the AD at Stanford during those years that Richard was there, hired Jim Harbaugh, and he and probably a half dozen other people, you know, all said the same thing, that this is just, this is not a character. Like, would, you know, would not have, would not have associated his name with an incident like this, with challenges like this. Um, so I think that I, I share that opinion. I, I would not have thought it would be Richard that would be in this uh, unfortunate spot that he finds himself in with, I think, some pretty severe consequences possibly looming. Brock, does this change the way you view Richard Sherman at all, or do you kind of see this as an isolated incident? Bump, you know this now that you're kind of old enough. Do you have any gray? You have a little gray in your goatee, don't you? Do you have a little gray? Gray all in this beard, Brock. Yeah, yeah, you got a little gray now, a little salt and pepper. So you're kind of, kind of old enough to realize that, uh, and, and you've got a lot of peers that are that are out of the NFL now and in that transitionary stage. And, and I've watched it with a number of my my friends and former teammates that train to transition. And I think Richards in a little bit of that state, uh, even though I think he still wants to play, uh, the market has not been kind to him. And, and it is a, you know, the, the numbers tell you and uh, the, the numbers of challenges that guys have had, you know, just in their life identity. And I don't want to speculate. I'm not going to run wild with this thing, but you know, just where you find yourself, man, for all my life, I've been doing this. I've been this successful. I've been this wanted. I've been this, you know, um, rewarded for my, my talents and, and my gifts and, and how hard I have worked. And now, you know, the door is not opening, um, you know, and, and I may be looking at the end of everything that I've known as a professional. And we have seen so many, and I have seen personally, so many struggle with that. What am I going to do now with the rest of my life? And, and how do I how do I fill that void? And sometimes it's in very, very unhealthy behaviors, unfortunately. And um, so while shocked and surprised, I probably lean into that as much as anything. He's at, a, at an age and stage of his life where, man, there are many, many former pros that struggle. He is one, though, that you would think would be able to navigate into that next phase because, yeah, maybe you can't play the game anymore. And I do want you guys to talk about this a little bit later, just one-on-one with your experiences with it. But this is a guy who you feel like, at the very least, might have a chance to actually play this season. Maybe the calls aren't coming his way in the manner that he would like, but also that he's got all sorts of different avenues that he could potentially go to. I suppose it just goes to show you that no matter how confident or collected or or whatever someone might seem 
on this surface level, you never really know what's going on inside. Yeah, I think that's very fair. You, you never really know. You never fully know relationally, um, you know, and some of the challenges that also come in this NFL world and uh, with, you know, with in-laws and relationships and families. And, man, I, Paul, I could tell you stories for days of some of the challenges that the players have had with parents and aunts and uncles and, and in-laws and everybody that, you know, wants peace and, and at times in their lives or uh, there could be very unhealthy relationships. Um, you know, because of barriers that are put up, bubbles that are put up, uh, money that comes into play. So, yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're today, we're 24 hours after the news where there's going to be an immense amount of speculation where, you know, I think many many have to have an opinion. You certainly do when you're on the radio and, and there's a guest and everything else. It's just, I find myself, man, um, I, I just find myself trying to... <laughs> trying to figure out how, how this happens to Richard because of what you just said. He's incredibly gifted. He's bright. He's going to have many doors that open. He's going to be able to do any media that he would want to do. He's high up in the NFL Players Association. Many of many of those things, but Paul, I think you're right. When you don't know what's going on on the inside, when you don't know, you know where there is hurt, when you don't know where there's unhealthiness in his personal life with, with decisions he's making or with his family members, you see it manifest itself at times, sadly, in a horrific manner like this. Question two. All right, Brock, you are a former quarterback, once a leader, always a leader. And if one of your former teammates were going through what Sherman's going through right now, what's your approach? Do you reach out? Do you give it time? How do you handle this? Yeah, you 100% reach out. Uh, You 100% reach out, especially – after listening to those 911 calls and you just hear the amount of pain in that home and with his wife and you have, yeah, I think you absolutely do, uh, do reach out to, to family members, to friends, you know, to, to people that he has close relationship with and, and you want to help, man. He is, uh, he is in a place of pain and hurt and, you know, to put himself in that kind of position in those hours of, you know, Coach Dungey would always talk about that. He'd always have a, a few rules, especially, you know, when we would end and, and Richard wasn't on a team, but I guarantee you, you know, some of these news headlines over the last few weeks, Frank Clark, others that, you know, there's coaches and Tony Dungy would always do this at the end of our mini camps, our final, you know, mandatory camp. You know, he kind of remind everybody, hey man, here's, here's the deal. Uh, you know, the, the headlines the next month are largely going to be those with drugs and alcohol, um, those in the early hours of you know, those that um, have guns and, you know, those things have not changed in 20 some years uh, as far as, you know, this month and a half period of time in the off season. Um, so, yeah, again, kind of just referencing what I've heard and listened to on those 911 calls, you know, when you have, uh, unfortunately, alcohol and, and you have early hours of and, and you're driving and you're, you're in that kind of position you're uh, you're in a position of pain and hurt. uh, And as a leader and as a friend, uh, I'm sure those around him have absolutely reached out to see what they can do to help. They might already know, too, just based off of all the information available to us. The first 911 call where his wife, Ashley Moss, said that he sent text messages to people saying he's going to hang himself. I would imagine that there has to be at least a couple of guys who maybe were teammates with him back in the day, whether at Stanford, with the Seahawks, maybe with the San Francisco 49ers. And that's just such a difficult place to be put into. And it's one of the things that 
you know, I think that sometimes those who are going through these hard things don't really realize is that you are putting the people around you in a pretty terrifying yep. spot as well. And it's, I think, sometimes difficult to actually see that. But I, I can only imagine what those guys must be going through as they really probably are just waiting to hear from Richard Sherman before uh, after he gets out of um, jail, which I imagine will take place this afternoon when he finally is in front of a judge. You know, Paul, the, the the face, the name, the person that came to my mind, immediately I was surprised with this and, and somewhat shocked. But but almost immediately, the, the person that came to my mind was Pete Carroll. And, and I say that because sitting down with Pete on a number of different occasions where Richard was a rule one breaker, right? It would protect the team. And that, that, that did not happen. And sitting on those Mondays with Pete, Bump, as you, you two have done, and uh, sitting there and trying to reconcile that, right? And he just threw his coordinator under the bus, right? He just blew up on teammates. He's just pointing things like he's just, you know, he's, Pete, you don't have many rules, but this guy's a rule one breaker and most important in your culture. And I remember talking to Pete so many times on the record, off the record about that. And he just had such affinity and love for Richard. But, like, he woke up every day the same way that Pete does. Like, eyes open, and I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win at all costs. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to tell anybody that my life is better than yours. <laughs> Skip Bayless way back when. And, and I'm going to fight and claw and tear. And I know that Pete loves Richard. And I know that this news is tearing him up and hurting him, speaking to friends and people around him. I can imagine that this is just hurting him as much as anybody else out there. Question number three. You guys have unique experience on this front that I clearly don't. I mean, you guys both played this game for a living, and like for every single NFL player, eventually that career comes to an end. So I guess I'm foisting a conversation upon the two of you, but I'm, I, I want to hear what you guys both went through as your careers wrapped up and how you coped with the end of it. And um, yeah, so you guys take it away. I'm going to imagine, Bump, it was a little easier for you and I because we did not have generational kind of wealth and money as Cam and Earl and now Richard and many of these players that we're seeing and, you know, that, that we love to follow the last decade as their careers have come to an end and, and they're figuring out that next step. And when you've had that and those kind of accolades and that kind of, and those kind of resources, people would say, oh my gosh, you're just set up for life. Right, Bump, yeah. just go play golf and, and just mm-hmm. relax and you know, you don't have to do anything the rest of your life. But these guys are competitors. Right? They have spent their life climbing and competing. And then when there isn't that, you know, eventually golf runs out. Eventually, you know, those resources do start to dwindle and you try to figure out, okay, what, what am I gonna do now with the rest of my life? And uh, just, you know, speaking as you kind of voice the conversation between us, uh, Paul. But I'm going to guess you were a little bit like me, like you knew, like, okay, you know, this door is closing. Now I got to go attack the next thing with the same vigor and intensity and competitiveness I did as a player because I don't have resources to set me up for the rest of my life. Yeah, I got there eventually, Brock. <laughs> I think like yeah. the first first year and a half, man, I, I couldn't even watch football. I'm bitter. I'm seeing guys playing. I'm like, I'm just as good as him. And I think, yep. and I think you you might have experienced this too. 
uh, Brock is, you know, we went to school out here. So we're running into people that are, how come you're not still playing, man? Like, what happened? And you get all these questions. You know, I'm like, look, man, NFL is not for long. There's not too many people who have the careers that, you know, you see on TV. And, uh, yeah, it was rough for a minute. I didn't know what to do. I had, like, three or four jobs. I'm like, where am I going to go? But then eventually uh, you find what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Yep. For me, it was it was training kids and coaching. And uh, that kind of brought me back to the game. Um, so yeah, first year and a half, Brock, I couldn't watch, couldn't watch football. I mean, fantasy football yeah. got me back into watching football. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th- and I think a big swallow of pride. It's usually the thing that I share with guys that, you know, that I know that I'm done and they're trying to figure out what they're doing, especially those former players that want to get into media. And I, and I maybe even told bump this, you know, way back when, just say yes, just yep. say yes, you know, and, and, and say yes as much as you can. And don't worry about, like, hey, man, my time, my brands, you need to pay me. I was just chatting with an executive down here at Big 12 Media Days yesterday, and, and he was chatting about a, you know, a player that's, that's wanting to, to do this. His agent called and said, well, I don't think you can afford him. And he's like, then you're right, <laughs> because if it is all about that, and, you know, he didn't want to get better and get in the door, he has no experience, and he already thinks he's just, you know, in NFL world, sorry, that's not the way it's going to be. My first TV show I remember doing, uh, sitting down with the director in the building, and I was like, okay, all right, do the Seahawks post game on television, everything, you know, what, what are we looking at? And he's like, well, you know, I can pay you, you got to get here, you know, be here for the game, watch the game with the crew, the show afterwards, so it's a pretty full day. And he's like, I, I can pay you about $110 a day. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> what? Like, I, I got to go buy some new suits. <laughs> I'll be leaving, you know, like the, the, the babysitter. I think the babysitter would make more than I would for that day of work for those eight or ten hours or whatever. So, but you're just like, all right, yeah, but here's an opportunity, and I'm going to get in the door, and I'm going to try to do the best I can. But man, that was a that was a pride swallowing day right there, and those come when when you finish your profession. Real, real talk, best thing Brock has ever told me: take every opportunity. And I, I have ran with that. Every opportunity I get, <laughs> I'm taking this. So I appreciate uh, the advice, <laughs> big homie Brock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more you can do, right? That's an NFL yeah. adage, too. It's not just not for long, but the more you can do. Yep. Yeah, when you get out, the more you can try to figure out, like you said, but what am I good at, man? What in the same way when I wake up and open my eyes, am I like, yes? I want to go and attack this, and I want to go do this because, man, it's my calling, it's my gifting, it's what I enjoy doing, and it's a hard road to get to. And there's a there's a lot of guys that can't get out of that bed. There's a lot of guys that don't want to swallow their pride and start over. And uh, and those typically are the ones, man, that face some of the darkest days in that challenge. Really interesting sitting back and listening to you guys. Just share that with us. So appreciate it, both of you guys. Seriously, thank you. It's very, I think, something that a lot of people do need to hear about. It's when this comes to an end, I can only imagine just how difficult that is to eventually say, hey, look, I, I have to move on. I have to move on to the next thing. Brock Hewitt, everybody, he joins most, us. Oh, go ahead, Brock. Oh, sorry, Paul. Well, most people would think, my goodness gracious, you've got all these millions of dollars. Like, I don't want to hear, and I'm sure there's people listening to Bump and I, like, yeah, I'm not going to have any pity. I'm not going to feel bad. You've got more money to pay for counseling, to pay for help, than anybody else has. And you made all these millions of dollars playing a game. But, you know, I would just 
kind of remind folks, and we've seen the story enough, man, money does not fill that hole and that void. And if there's mental struggles and mental illness and there's hurt and pain, in some ways that money can just infuse some of that even more because you're sitting there like, why why am I hurting? Why do I feel this way? I'm supposed to have reached the pinnacle and done all of this because the world, man, and that money doesn't fill that void. Brock Heward, everybody, the one and only. Brock, have a great weekend, man. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. See you, Bob. See you, Brock. That is Brock here at Blue 42 every single morning at 8 o'clock right here. Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Michael Bumpus is in for Danny O'Neill. I am Paul Gallant. It's interesting hearing, Bump, your side of this and, and just what an athlete goes through at the very end. And this is obviously, I think, a bit of projecting done by all of us, but I think it's probably pretty sound reasoning to believe that this is something that at the very least is a factor in whatever Richard Sherman is going through right now. In addition to what I would imagine and more importantly is taking place, there's probably things that are going on at home that are not going so well. And this is a bit of something that I took entirely based off of what we saw in the press conference afterwards with um, police. But sometimes in private conversations, things are shared that maybe aren't meant to be shared publicly. And I did take note that at least at first, the um, police officer who was speaking for um, the Redmond Police Department, his name, um, Chief Daryl Lowe, had mentioned that Richard Sherman went to his ex-in-law's place, but a little bit later, Richard Sherman's wife, Ashley Moss, publicly said, no, this is there's no ex here. And maybe that is also something that's taking place. It's not just the end of a career. Perhaps there's the end of something else that also could be on the stove. Man, you just never know, right? Right. We never know. You know what? I'm sure we've probably touched or danced around a couple of things that have affected this situation, but I guarantee you we haven't talked about something that is probably a huge factor in this because we just don't know. All we know are from past experience, other athletes, and what we have from the police report. So it's it's tough to talk about because, like I said, we don't know everything, but we have to talk about it because, one, people care about Richard Sherman in Seattle. I think they care about him across the country. So we have to talk about it. And um, he has done so much for this community and this organization. He was part of a Super Bowl win for this organization. I mean, he's he's a big deal around here. And that's a gift and a curse. Because you are a big deal, when something wrong happens, it's going to be amplified. right? You have the limelight. That thing is never going to leave him. As long as he's in the Northwest or anywhere probably in the western part of this country, there's going to be a spotlight on him. So he has to move differently. His mistakes are blown up. There are guys and girls across the country who have done the same thing, who have been through the same thing Sherman's going through right now, they're just not famous. So it's it's a tough spot for him to be in, and it's a tough spot for us, honestly, because we don't want to beat the guy up, but we definitely have to report what's going on. Yeah, and look, he's responsible for his actions here. And at the very least, I think what's going to take place is he's, go- he's going to be charged with the DUI. I mean, add it all up before we even get the blood report on his blood alcohol content, which they got right after they brought him to the hospital. I mean, just add everything up. The circumstances of getting into a car crash on the highway, this before the 911 call where we found out that he drank two bottles of liquor, where he's crashing into a construction zone, he's driving on, he abandons the car, and then he eventually goes to the home. The, the, the details that we do know, there were two 911 calls, and the sad thing about all of this, and I think that makes it even more concerning, 
were the two 911 calls where you heard his wife just with so much anguish in her voice talking about how Richard had threatened to kill himself, how he had sent messages to people saying he's going to hang himself, that if the police showed up, he would try to fight them. The two bottles that he had had before he took off on the road. The second call where his uncle, excuse me, where her uncle, I believe, a male voice, says that he's suicidal. He has no firearms, but he might have a knife. If the kids aren't in the car, Sherman had supposedly told her that he was going to hurt her. And as things went on, we get the 126-911 call about an impaired driver after the SUV, which was driven into a closed active construction zone. 149, the police called to a burglary in progress, the domestic violence burglary, which we saw, where things at first were amicable, supposedly, between he and police officers. And it sounds like they did a decent job of, at the very least, making the situation one where it wasn't confrontational. But then when they decided that, hey, look, we have to book you, we have to take you in, all of a sudden, that's when things escalated. He walked away. Police officer uh, tried to restrain him. A uh, canine was brought in as well, at least based off of what we told. The canine bit Richard Sherman in the leg. And then the next thing you know, he's booked and we're waiting for 2.30 today when he will face a judge. And we would imagine he will, first off, be given the opportunity to make bail, but also probably given the opportunity to speak about what happened. And I'm curious as to what he has to say there. We're all thinking about the guy. I, I do think it's important to note, though, that this is a guy who he, he made he made his bed in this situation, and hopefully he's going to be able to get his help so something like this doesn't happen again, and he's able to either, either figure out what's going on at Home Bump or figure out what's going to happen next for him in life. And he's so young. He's got time. He's got time to figure this out. He's got time to live and learn. That's what we do in life anyway, right? We're living and we're learning every single day. If you're not doing that, then uh, you're, you're not really living at all. So it's all about how he bounces back. Don't rush it. Take your time. Maybe disappear for a little bit. You know, you don't have to come out and make a statement and get in front of the camera. You don't have to appease us, Richard Sherman. You do what you got to do for yourself and your family. And if people don't understand that, if people want him to come out and talk about his problems in front of the camera, then you're just not a human being. Because most Put yourself of us, in those shoes. That's hard. Yeah, most of us wouldn't do that. You come out here and just expose everything. I mean, give it time to heal. Um, unfortunate situation. But, you know, he's got to deal with the consequences now. He's yep. got to deal with it. Yep, he does. He is Michael Bumpus. I'm Paul Gallant. Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. We will be talking about Richard Sherman for the majority of this morning. Maybe some forays into what Russell Wilson had to say yesterday in a couple of interviews. But up next, Jerry DePoto, general manager of the Seattle Mariners, joins us next for the Jerry DePoto Show. Is Jared Kelnick going to be a Seattle Mariner as soon as tomorrow? He will let us know. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Get the most on the Mariners with 710 ESPN Seattle all season long. Stream every Mariners game on your smart speaker. Just say play 710 ESPN Seattle. Calm down, voice guy. We got a show to run. Michael Bumpus in for Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. We'll hear from Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto in just a couple of minutes. A lot of stuff to dive into. First off, we have seen hinted at heavily by the Seattle Times own Ryan Divish that Mariners super prospect Jared Kelnick could be getting round number two in the major leagues as soon as tomorrow. We saw yesterday, too, Julio Rodriguez hit a grand slam. In Arkansas, that's pretty cool. And Michael Bumpus, the Mariners drafted 
a bunch of young players who they will hopefully add to what's been a pretty impressive farm system with a lot of young talent. Young talent. Let's go, Julio. Doing your thing. Jared's about to get pulled up. This is what we've been waiting for, Paul, right? Give us give us something to cheer about. I'm ready for this. Oh, I'm ready for I'm it. anxious. I'm ready for it. Look, you want to start the stretch run with as many weapons as you possibly can. And I feel like right now with, you know, uh, the second half of the season upon us that there is a chance that we might see some of those guys really, really soon. So it's the moment of truth. The Jerry DePoto show with Mariners general manager Jerry DePoto begins right now. Jerry, what's going on this morning? Morning, guys. Jerry, I have a question. Is is Jared Kelnick going to be on the Mariners tomorrow? He will. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Let's go! That's an easy answer, huh? Yes, thank you. This is great. All right. Uh, so what, what's he shown over his stint in the minor leagues that has you feeling good that he's going to be able to come up to the major league level and this time around figure it out? Uh, I mean, we've always believed in his talent and – uh, obviously, the the twenty five or twenty six game stretch, whatever it was that that he last experienced, didn't go the way we had hoped, or he would would have hoped. But you know, we sent him back. He had a, a plan to work on. Some of it was you know how to approach the game. Some of it was you know more uh, skills development based. And he he did everything we asked him to do. And the, the performance was excellent. Uh, he achieved what we were hoping he would achieve in a short time. And and we told them that we would reassess at the all-star break and, and see where we were. And, you know, we think it's the right time to, to give it another shot. And he's, he's just too talented to, to allow him to, to not gain these or this exposure and the at-bats at the big league level. It's, it's so important to what we're doing moving forward. And it's so important for him to take that next step in his career. Jerry, I'm going to use the word we right now because I don't know if you know, but I'm a part of the Mariners organization. I've been loving hard <laughs> this year. So uh, my question to you is, are we ahead of schedule? Are we on schedule? Are we behind schedule? Where do you see us right now as an organization as far as player development and just where you want your team to be? Uh, player development, I feel like we are way ahead of schedule. Uh, that that has gone extraordinarily well since we started this rebuild. And, you know, from – from the time we started, you know, reshaping the, the major league roster at the end of 2018, I would have told you that this was our target time, that, that we thought that in, you know, at midseason 2021, we would be in position to contend. You know, but frankly, a lot has happened in the world, and we didn't really know what that would look like. So we're all pleasantly surprised by where we are. I, I can't qualify it as we've hit on our expectations because we, we tempered our expectations based on, a worldwide pandemic, a lost minor league season, and and the different challenges that that brought to a young, you know, I guess growing team. But uh, it's hard to look at what we're doing right now, especially over the last you know month or five weeks. We are scoring runs. We are pitching well. Our bullpen has been terrific, and and we feel like this team deserves notice, and we're we're giving it. Jerry, you also went through a baseball draft just a couple of days ago in addition to going through the all-star break and some really intriguing prospects you guys went with high schoolers early on that is a first for you and I'm really intrigued by Harry Ford not just because his name sounds sort of like Harrison Ford but he's a guy who's a catcher and an outfielder and is extremely athletic I saw him doing some ridiculous box jumps as well this guy seems like he can do a whole lot of things on the baseball diamond 
Yeah, Harry's a freakish athlete. I mean, really, really physically strong, 18 years old. Uh, he can – the explosiveness that he brings to the table is it, – it, it's very noticeable the first time you run into him. And, you know, he can hit, he can throw. He's a, on a scale of, of 20 to 80 where we grade in the scouting realm – about a 65 runner. Uh, we feel like he's got 70, maybe more potential power upside. And that's a really rare combination and in any draft. And, you know, we, we went particularly young. We thought we had a, uh, an opportunity to add upside to what has been a, a, a very good minor league system to start, you know, these last two years, especially. And, you know, adding talents like Harry and Edwin Arroyo, Michael Morales. And, they, and as we got into the draft, we found some nice college players in the later rounds that, that we were pretty excited about adding where we did. So it was a, a fun experience and really looking forward to seeing, you know, a lot of young players hit the ground in Arizona this weekend and see what they do. Jerry, the All-Star game was, what, a few days ago, and I was hyped. I was ready to watch it, but then you say didn't play. So now I'm kind of like, all right, I'm not going to watch this game. In your role, your position, did you still watch that game, and what did you think of the All-Star game overall? I, I always watch the All-Star game. It's a, it's something I've done since I was a kid. Why wouldn't you want to watch the, the, it's the, the pomp, the circumstance? I thought the home run derby was as entertaining as it's ever been in all the years that I've watched and. And, uh, you know, I, I probably could have done without the blue on blue uni. Oh, those were awesome. You know, I Thank the you. White on one. <laughs> the white on white was okay. And, uh, but you got to see great players out on the field and, and, you know, so many guys that, that you admire the way they play, what they do. And so many young players who are getting their first opportunity in the all-star game and, you know, to see what they did on that big stage. It's a great chance as a as an evaluator to see what players do when the light shines because it's 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 not quite the same as as just working on your trade in the background. So I, I was entertained by it, and you know, hopefully next year there's there's a number of Mariners reps out there, and, and they can you know sport our hat and and let people cheer for him. I'm hoping for that, for that as well, Jerry, but I, I found myself very frustrated that, I mean, come on, at least put Kendall Graveman in if you're going to, if Yusei Kikuchi can't go. Come on, Kevin Cash. Listen, I know you're the Rays manager, but it's the American League All-Star game. You know, it's the American well, League All-Star team. <laughs> there was there was some nuance to that. You know, okay. Yusei, Yusei was a, he was feeling sick uh, Friday, Saturday of last week. Right. And we, we put him through some, general protocols and testing uh, relating to COVID. And as such, the, there, he went to the All-Star game. He hadn't experienced any baseball activity in three or four days. Uh, he's very routine-oriented. He had been a little bit dehydrated. And, you know, though now healthy and, and feeling great, he did get there on Monday and informed them that he didn't think he was going to be able to pitch while he was there. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't really anything more than him showing up the day before the game and, and letting them know that, that uh, he wasn't ready to roll. And, you know, once they reacted, they went with someone who, who they knew that was nearby, that they could just give a quick call. And, you know, I, I, I also deserving. But, the you know, it's, it was a, a unique circumstance. I can't really throw too many stones. It, it would have been a different story, I think, if, if on Sunday we would have said, hey, you know, you say can't make the post. And they had a chance to – to honor another all-star that wasn't so close to the nest you're a classy guy i'll, I'll throw the stones for you uh, one, <laughs> one last one last question uh, you had to have been really excited to see in the futures game both 
Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez in the same outfield. And I'm getting more and more excited about Julio's uh, potential, especially yesterday he hits that opposite field grand slam. Julio, and, and I don't know if it was evident that when the, the team showed up on the field at the Futures game, but you, you can you can feel his personality before yeah. he ever does anything on the field. And it's, it's so fun to watch him. He uh, The ball that he hit to, to right field yesterday for a grand slam in northwest Arkansas was just disintegrated. And he's it, it's so much fun to watch him play. I think he's he's doing exactly what we would have hoped to do uh, uh, in challenging him with the promotion to double A. He's probably going to leave us shortly for a bit to, to go help the Dominican Republic and the Olympics. But, you know, it's been a phenomenal year for Julio on every level. And, you know, the, the progress that he's making, it's, it's, it really, it's making the future uh, look much closer than, than we could have imagined so in July of 2021. I did a poor job of following up on this, Jerry, because I got so excited hearing you say yes to my question about uh, Jared Kelnick. Is he going to be back in the starting lineup right away? And where do you envision him in the lineup hitting? Uh, He will, and he will play center field more nights than not. So, you know, he'll still, like he's done in the minors, he'll he'll move from side to side. You know, as, as we know and we've seen, Jake plays all three, Jared plays all three. We that does give us some flexibility, and there are going to be nights where we want to maintain. You know, some flexibility to give Mitch a DH day to let Shed get in there in left field. And, you know, so we're going to be creative in, in how we do it. But, you know, we, we want Jared to get his reps like we want Jake and Mitch to get their reps. And, and we got to find ways to keep getting Shed and Dylan Moore their ABs. Uh, and, and we're going to be very creative in how we manage the, the roster coming out of the break. You know, we're going to carry three catchers and and see how frequently we can get LT in there against the, the left-hand pitching and, and Tom Murphy, some reps. to He does such a good job managing our pitchers, but we also want to see Cal play on a regular basis. And and it, as, as fun as it is to, to be in a position right now to, to dream of the second half and, and, and hitting a postseason, we also want to focus on the discipline of, of giving these young players their reps because that's just so important to, to what happens moving forward for us. Jerry DePoto, the Jerry DePoto Show. Jerry, always a pleasure. Good luck as we begin the second half of the season for the Mariners. Thanks, guys. That is Jerry DePoto, everybody. Every single Thursday, 8.30, right here, Danny and Gallant. Up next, 710 ESPN Seattle. Richard Sherman, his arrest yesterday, it has all of us just thinking about, first off, where he's at, if he's okay, how his family is doing as well. When you are a public figure like this, should things about your personal life be put out in the open in the way that they were put out yesterday? We will discuss that and a lot more about Richard Sherman, some of the facts that we've learned over the past 24 hours. Next, right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. So we do have some good news about the Seattle Mariners at the very least for tomorrow. As Jerry DePoto told us just moments ago that Jared Kelnick will be getting a second go-round with the Mariners tomorrow. He will be moved around the outfield as he has been 
We'll see where he ends up in the lineup. I would imagine that could also be a possibility because the lead-up spot, the lead-off spot didn't work out so well, especially with the way J.P. Crawford has been hitting. I don't think you're going to put Jared Kelnick back there. Um, here is Jerry Depoto just moments ago saying he thinks it's the right time to bring Jared back. I mean, we've always believed in his talent. And uh, obviously the, the 25 or 26-game stretch, whatever it was, that, that he last experienced didn't go the way we'd hoped or he would would have hoped. But, you know, we sent him back. He had a, a plan to work on. Some of it was, you know, how to approach the game. Some of it was, you know, more uh, skills development-based. And he, he did everything we asked him to do. And the, the performance was excellent. Uh, he achieved what we were hoping he would achieve in a short time. And and we told him that we would reassess at the All-Star break and, and see where we were. And, you know, we think it's the right time to, to give it another shot. Bump, I'm sure that you have had moments in your athletic career where maybe you were sat down for a moment and then you got a second opportunity. What's the key to succeeding in that second opportunity? One, you have to be honest with yourself and be like, okay, what what was I doing? What wasn't working? But then also lean on the stuff that was working, but keep your confidence about yourself, which is hard to do, right? You get yeah. sitting down or set down. You're like, I'm not good enough. You question everything, but you got to find a way to keep that confidence. And I think that's one of the biggest things with Jerry Kelnick is his confidence, his swag, you know, his determination. Um, so it's it's being honest. It's working on what you need to work on, but remembering that, look, I'm good enough to be here. There's a reason why that I'm here and find a way just to keep that confidence and now perform. End of the day, it's a performance-based business. If you are not performing, they will find somebody else who will do the job, so you have to perform. He can't beat himself up either if he fails, and hopefully that he has learned habits to help himself with that over the course of the past month in Tacoma. Danny and Gallant, Michael Bumpus is in for Danny O'Neill. Richard Sherman was arrested yesterday, and this afternoon, 2.30, he will be seen by a judge, and after that, I believe he will be presented with the opportunity to make bail. We might even hear from Richard Sherman this afternoon. I'm not expecting a whole lot. But this is a difficult situation for, I would imagine, any person to go through. But Richard Sherman made his own bed here. We're very fortunate that no one was hurt here. I mean, he his car accident took place in the midst of an active construction zone. There were actual workers who made the phone call to police to report that the car had crashed into it. And then obviously he tried to drive it away etc., etc. So it's a hit and run there. Um, there is a possible DUI charge that could be in the works in addition to, on top of that, um, resisting arrest. So we'll, we'll see what ultimately is raised against him. I can't help but feel for his wife, Ashley Moss. And look, I'm not, I'm not a radio program director, and I, I don't know what decision is the appropriate decision when it comes to playing audio. I really don't. I know that if it was Richard Sherman that was perhaps making a 911 call, that might be something that would be, I think, a little bit less hard to hear. But at the same time, given everything that we're hearing that he had been telling Ashley Moss, maybe we wouldn't want to hear that at all. All I know is that when I listen to those 911 calls, but specifically the one that Ashley Moss meant, in addition to just being mad at the police dispatcher who, whether they were doing their job or not, you can't tell me that that person wasn't rude, but the anguish in her voice really saddened me. And I can only imagine the fear as she was trying to stop him from leaving the house, as she told police in that 911 call. And as she was driving and trying, I would imagine, to first off, hope 
make sure that Richard wasn't going to get in an accident, but also make sure that upon arrival at her parents' house that nothing bad was going to happen. For her to have all this put out there in the open, I feel bad. I really just feel bad. And ultimately, too, I mean, if we're going to talk about responsibility, that is something that Richard Sherman incidentally did with what took place on Tuesday and when, night and Wednesday morning. Yeah, when I hear wifey on the phone with the dispatcher, you you hear the panic, the concern. That's what that's what makes it real. Imagine if we and, and I, I I don't know how I feel about this because I think things like that should be private, you know, the nine one one call. But I also think that us hearing that allowed us to make it real. Right? It's not like we're just reading it in a newspaper or a magazine or a blog or whatnot. We actually heard it. And it's it's yeah. it's like when you send a text, you don't really know how someone is saying it. You can assume how they're saying something because you know their personality and how they say stuff. But when you talk and you hear it, it makes it real. And that's what got me. She was real. And then the dispatcher was just there was no compassion. I'm like, yeah. this is this is a frantic situation. And it, it almost seems like she just wanted to be in control. Calm down. Da, da, da. I'm like, come on, man. This is your job. I understand you have to try to keep your composure, but your job is to show, at least I think. I, I don't. I didn't write the book on how to be a dispatcher, yeah. but I would think that your job is to show some compassion to the person in this situation because it, it could be life or death. You never really know. So I, I, I feel for wifey. I know, and I would imagine that was like her last straw. Like, I do not want to call the police. Right. All right, I do not want to call the police on my drunk husband who is 6'3". He's a black dude. He's going to show up to this house. Like, I don't want to put ourselves in that situation, but it got to that point. So that's where I feel for the wife. And that's a situation that Richard did put her in. And, you know, I, I we're all understanding and, and we are hoping that Richard Sherman is going to get help. I think we all, even if we don't like the way that he, maybe he left Seattle, we all love what this guy was able to do for this city, not just on the football field, but for the actual community itself. But at the same time, this is something that he put her in. And I, I guess my my question was, when situations like this happen, do the day-to-day affairs of an athlete need to be dragged out into the limelight the way that they have been? So. That's something that you guys can respond to, 710-710. We'll reset all the information that we know about Richard Sherman's arrest yesterday morning next right here. Danny and Gallant with Michael Bumpus in for Danny, 710 ESPN Seattle.